Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning as we have come to this particular text of Scripture, as we have taken a break for a short period of time uh, over the month of December and of January with our Stewardship Month and various occasions where uh, we get opportunity to, to study the truth of God's Word in this kind of way. And, and uh, we've come to a text like this. Some people have asked me, uh, as a result of it taking so long to get to this, this uh, desired text to go through, they said, Pastor, are you afraid? Well, there is some uh, a regular sense of uh, fear and trepidation that every pastor lives with on a regular basis, every teacher, uh, proclaimer of the truth uh, on any level, that when they get up to speak for the very, uh, about the very truths of God's word, there is a uh, desire and should be a sense of reverence and fear in a right sense to make sure that we get right what God says is right. And that is our desire as we walk through this. There's certainly no doubt in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we are now back into our, as we get back into our study, let me just remind us of, of this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where Paul says this to Timothy, who is the pastor of the Ephesian church. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is the level of instruction that Paul gives to us and that he writes to Timothy in the pastoral epistles to give them a, uh, a framework for how the church of the living God ought to function. We certainly understand that it, it, it doesn't come without a sense of challenges for Pastor Timothy. Timothy was pastoring a church that was challenged with various levels of false teaching. And we've covered some of those in, 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 the, in, the, uh, in the verses of chapter 1, verse 3 and following. He's correcting false teaching. He's giving sense of order for the church. It is very important for us to remember as church congregations, and it's very important for us to remember as individuals that whatever authority that we come to, the, to, to believe is authoritative, it's supposed to come from God and not to come from men alone. Whatever authority we believe that, that the gospel gives, it is a sense of authority that is given because God said something is right and another thing is wrong. The same ought to be true when it comes to the way in which God uh, proclaims through Paul, through inspiration, to Pastor Timothy, to a local church in Ephesus, and to all churches that would exist in a local church setting, that the authority that is derived in the church and in the functional roles come not from men, but they come from God. And this is incredibly important for us to remember because so often we, we struggle with coming to texts of scripture that rub us in the wrong way that seems to not be as culturally accurate or culturally accepting. 
And we come to them and, and, and we, have to, we, have to, we have to realize that am I going to interpret the text based upon what it says or based upon what I want it to say or what our culture happens to be saying at any given moment. Please remember that as we look at women in the worship and their function within the assembly, that this was God's instruction for the local church. You may be here as a lady and think, well, but I've seen a whole lot of men do a lot of poor leading. And I would say, so have I. But that does not mean that somehow, because of a lack of leadership and a lack of, of, of willingness or even in, uh, you know, a, a, an inability to do it well, that means that we can somehow set aside the way God designed the function of roles within the church just because we've seen it happen poorly. And just because our culture, in many occasions, will look at it very differently we have to ask the basic questions, what does God want for his community? And that is really important for us. What does God want for his community and what is the order that he has prescribed? Please don't go away this morning and say, oh, that, those elders, that Cape Bible Chapel, these sexist pigs who will never let anybody or any woman do anything. In fact, all they do is tout their masculinity. That's not what the Bible says, nor is that what we as a church desire to accomplish either. What we desire to accomplish is to say, what does God say about the church and what does he say about the order that he has designed within the church? I think this is important for us as we think about uh, this main idea, that God has designed the function of women in the assembly to reflect the framework of created order. He's designed the function of women in the assembly to reflect the framework of the created order. Now, what we're going to talk about in verses 11 and 12 today and try to get an understanding of is what, what function... Are women supposed to have within that? And then next week, we're going to come and talk about the framework from which that authority is derived from. And it's important that we understand these two in connection, but it's also important that we don't rush through it too quickly. Because God has designed an order and the church. And remember this, please. You could turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 and following where it gives this beautiful picture of the husband and wife. But remember that the church is the picture by which he has chosen as an illustration for what marriage will illustrate. Why? Because Jesus died for the church. The church belongs to him. And if the church belongs to him, then he has the right to dictate what goes on there. And that's a very challenging reality for so many in a culture like ours because we often think about rights. We need to think as Christians when we come to this text that God has every right in the world to dictate what he has sacrificed for so that the church could be developed. The real question that I think falls upon our laps is, 
How dare we say to God, that's not how it should be done? That's the real question that I think has to lay hold of our own hearts, is if we walk away saying, God, how dare you say this, and how, you, how dare you do this to me as a woman? Well, then we circumvent God's authority and his design in the church that belongs to him and him alone. So there's something at stake here in the sense of authority that we need to make sure that our minds are thinking through uh, in this kind of text. There's no doubt that of all the texts in 1 Timothy, uh, verses 11, 12, and 13, and 14 have been written on so frequently and so much ink has been spilled in regard to uh, the role of women in the church that you could not read all the books in a month that deal with this subject. But I think it does really challenge us when we think about the context. Certainly we understand and have covered that women, when they came to the assembly, just as though there was instruction for men in the assembly, which he talked about in the, in the first parts of verse eight, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. And then he gives likewise another set of instruction to women. Women should be modest and have the kind of apparel that is, a, that is, that is reflective of their, of their heart before the Lord. Well, certainly as someone comes to this, one thing at least at face value we can recognize is God has different instruction in different ways to both men and women in the church, and both are equally authoritative for both men and women. And so when he comes to, to, to this reality, and he calls them in verse 10, but with, proper, but, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Now I think what the next text in 11 and 12 does is jump off this reality of Paul's instruction to Timothy and says, for ladies, this is part of an essence of a good work that goes on in the life of a woman inside the assembly to recognize and embrace God's designed order within the church. And by embracing them, you are expressing a receptivity and submission to God's design of the way that he has, he has called the church to function. And that is good. It is a good thing anytime we say, I'm gonna function according to God's design plan. But you know, as you come to a text like this, one of the challenges is, is our hermeneutic, our, our Bible study method and interpretation. One particular author, Thomas Schreiner, comes to the table in understanding this particular situation and records of a woman in a context, uh, in a different continent, where the idea of male leadership and, and different roles of women being submissive and the context of there was normal. And he says, this woman came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, and she came to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12, which says women are to, to function in a certain way. And one person who, a, a lady who was from a Western uh, a culture mindset, looked at her and said, what do you think of that? And this newly saved African sister said, what's the problem? God said men should lead and women should serve in this way. God said it, I'm okay with it. And he said, then, and then he records an illustration of a 
of a lady who had grown up in a Western culture, brought through a feministic ideology, who comes to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and looks at verse 11 and 12 and says that women are to not be able to teach and not to be given authority over men. And they said, what do you think of that? And she says, I hate it. Each individual's Culture and background often can be a point of which they overlay on the text the interpretation that is most fitting or palatable for them. And that's the danger, is that we as Christians in our 21st century culture, as we come to 1 Timothy 2, and we read these verses in verse 11 and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That are in our cultural interpretation, if we're not careful, we may want to read something into the text that God never designed the text to say. And all of us certainly come with various presuppositions as we come to interpret different texts, but the goal is to have the right presuppositions with the right attitude towards the authority that even if I don't like it, I'm willing to embrace it because that's what God said and he's the one who owns the church and he gets to be the one who determines how the church functions. Well, how did we get to this point of which you could read all kinds of books and all kinds of different interpretations of, of this reality. Well, one of the things that has happened in our Western culture is this ever-evolving reality of gender identity built upon the backdrop of a feminist, feministic ideology that was so prevalent for the last 30 years. So much of that has, has caused many interpreters who believe that women should function in a certain way and be given certain liberties have now fallen prey to this reality that if, 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 if this is where culture's at, then, then the Bible's culture, whatever authority is given there, must be subservient to how I, what I bring to the, to the table in interpretation in my culture. Various things like gender identity, things like women in particular, Where are they supposed to serve? Well, notice where this goes. If all of a sudden, it's not just an issue if somebody is a biological woman, now we are faced with a a challenge with if even you redefine not only marriage, but you redefine gender identity, now the idea of the expanse of what a person who identifies as a woman can or cannot do is now given an even broader sense of what they can do and what the church is allowed to embrace or endorse. When God comes and reveals this text to Paul and says what he says in verse 11, that let a woman learn quietly, he is not overly concerned with our 21st century backdrop of a feministic ideology and gender identity. He is concerned with his ordered design. That's what his goal is. What is my order and design? Well, we've also gotten into this predicament because people come to the text of Scripture and attribute to Jesus some form of interpretation about roles 
And, and they'll use various elements, such as Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when Paul says to the Galatian believers, there is no male and female. There's no slave or free. And they say, well, look, based upon Galatians 3, verse 28, then the reality is, is that there is no longer, based on Christ's redemptive work, no longer role distinctions within the body. But that's not what Galatians 3 is seeking to endorse. So there's this level where people will take Scripture, even like Galatians 3, and then read that into their idea of interpretation and say, well, since Galatians 3.23 or 3.28 says there's no distinction, there's no male or female, then he must have erased all the designed order and distinction in roles when he has not. Otherwise, if we get to 1 Timothy, then we would say, well, Paul's contradicting himself. He allows for it there and promotes an idea of a blanket statement and yet contradicts himself in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, in which he doesn't do. Complicated that to even further when you get to the idea of authoritarianism, which, by the way, even for uh, churches, if if you've read stories or different illustrations or even heard of other churches, there can be a challenge for a sense where a, a male leadership to have ungodly authoritarianistic mindsets, even within the church. And we must guard against that kind of mentality too. But for often people come to that text and hear a man, uh, that a woman should not usurp authority over man to proclaim this idea and espouse this, this, this determination that if a woman is in subservience or in subordination to any sense of male leadership, that is slavery. It is tantamount to slavery. And we will not stand for a level of slavery. And this is the ideology that tends to come out that colors varying shades of the interpretation, most often fueled by a, an, an expression of a historical cultural interpretation that says something like this. Paul wrote 1 Timothy to counteract a specific situation in Ephesus, and since he, did, he, he counteracts a specific situation Nothing written in that specific situation is normative for the church today. And since it's not normative, then 1 Timothy contains no directives for the church today in regard to men and women's roles. And that is how they will come across in explaining a level of their own interpretation. Now, there's two particular views that tend to uh, be communicated. We'll talk about them. This is uh, if you understand the largeness of this topic, uh, you can understand why it takes us a bit to get into the text because there is so much that is going on that has colored the way people interpret this, this text of Scripture. Well, one of those perspectives is a view recognized as complementarianism. Complementarianism is this reality of equal in image but differing in roles. That God in his sovereignly orchestrated plan from the very beginning of time has put men and women in, in, as image bearers of God 
not to be distinguished in the sense of their value or the appreciation or their intellectual capacity or a host of other positive things that are expressed in the idea of image, but in his sovereign choice, he has, he has designed two image bearers with completely different roles for both the home and for the church. He did that. Complementarian seeks to, to understand 1 Timothy chapter 2 in light of this reality according to God's designed order, which we will see as the authoritative underpinnings of this, of this calling for women as they function in the church. Complementarianism then sees gender distinctions uh, to be something as that God has designed. He's not avoiding things. He's trying to say, God designed men to, to do certain things, and he complimented a man in the very beginning when he said it's not good for man to be alone. He had created a helper for him. And those complementary roles are designed in a way to picture him more clearly to understand his design more beneficially in our lives. On the other side of it, you have a view in, uh, also recognized, not as complementarianism, but egalitarian, which is the view that expresses that women are equal in image, but there is no role distinction required. Such an outcome of an interpretation results from that historical setting. If there is a specific situation of women in Ephesus, but that cultural situation does not exist today, then we, that, that, that principle of women functioning in the church is not what we would call transcultural. It's not universal to every church of all time. It is situational based upon the circumstances at Ephesus. Well, those who would pose this idea would look at gender distinctions as a result of the fall and Christ's redemption as removing those distinctions and then bringing back unity. And these are, these are where these two, these two uh, positions differ. Is this reality of Galatians 3 that there is neither, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no, there is no male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So often, those within an egalitarian perspective will use Galatians 3.28 to, to say, listen, since this is issue is a very specific issue in Ephesus, it cannot be a universal principle. Well, as you look, what the argument is really saying is the Ephesian church was so unique among all Greek Roman churches of their day that there was something specific about the false teaching that necessitates Paul to say, this is what you have to, this is the function that needs to happen. But it's only situational for Ephesus and not, and not, and not communicated for all churches of all time. That is a way in which their interpretation uh, comes out with an application of this. In fact, they would argue one gentleman by the name of Philip Payne would write this that exemplifies this egalitarian view. He would say, Jesus treated men and women equally. He was unconcerned with gender differences in the kingdom of God. He taught the equality of the sexes and rebelled against the social structures oppressing women. Nothing in Jesus' teaching advocates male and female role distinctions or the subordination of women. 
This implies that the apparently universal New Testament practice of appointing men as primary pastoral leaders, a practice dominant in the church all throughout its history, was at best a failure to follow Jesus' example and ideal. So now they, in this position of egalitarian, they will say, well, if we follow Jesus' teaching, Jesus then said there are no role distinctions, and because there were women in his ministry, he clearly erased them all, and now if we don't follow suit with that, that same idea and that same interpretation, it is tantamount to not following Jesus, Jesus' way that he has described for New Testament believers. I would not agree with that kind of interpretation or reinterpretation of 1 Timothy 11 or Galatians chapter 3. And here at the chapel, we, we stand on 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 11 and 12 in God's designed order, as you'll see in verses 13 and 14, that God reserved the right to design both men and women and then, and then utilize various distinctive roles in the church for his benefit and for the church's benefit. Well, in so many ways, this has become a conundrum in our culture, so much to the point that if someone says, a woman can't and fills in the blank, it's almost like those are fighting words. To some degree, and I think what we should come to the text and say, well, then what does God say? Well, what 1 Timothy chapter 2 says in verse 11 says, let a woman learn quietly. I think for us to understand the, the understanding of women within the first century culture is really helpful as we come to a text like this, that we see the positive command in, the, in this particular text. And the positive command is, our women are called to be learners. So much of the Jewish community that was, was undergirding this idea of both men and women being created in the image of God was expressed all throughout Judaism. Consider, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 31, 12, when, they, when the assembly was called, it said, the, uh, Moses says, assemble the people, men, women, little ones, and the sojourners within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law. Men and women were equally involved in the hearing, listening, and learning uh, of, of, of the Torah. However, in Judaistic thought, so often, and this was often a, Jew, a Jewish tradition that is espoused by many theologians because of various historical works, would recognize that in Jewish households, there was a sense in which women were not taught. They were not t told, go to the synagogue, and I want you to learn. Now, the, the, going to the synagogue and learning for the sake of instruction was something that the men were called to do. So even with this idea, when Jesus uh, takes women as disciples, and you think of the disciples that he took, Mary Magdalene, you, you can mark them in Luke chapter 8, places like this, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Herod's household manager, Susanna, and then it says, and many other women. And then you get to Luke 10, and you have Mary and Martha situation. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's learning. And Martha is saying, tell her to help. And Jesus says, I'm not taking that away from her. She's listening. She's learning. Acts chapter 1, you see the, the church gathered. It says, the apostles gathered in the upper room together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
a whole host of women who partook in being disciples of Jesus. Please hear me out when we think about this issue of what 1 Timothy chapter 2 is doing. He, Paul is not, through Timothy, through the sake of inspiration, demeaning women. He is not saying, well, there's men and then there's women. There's this great intellectual group of men and then there's these lesser. That is not what he's doing. What he is doing is saying to us that there is defined roles within men and women that he calls for. And, and so he says, let, all, let the women, verse 11, learn in quietness. Now, even within the Roman culture, by the way, if you read Roman historical accounts, of even Greek and Roman women were often viewed within that culture. They were not, they were not going out for levels of, of, of a lot of learning, although there were many women of high stature who were given access to the ability to be educated. But it was often in private. Even the Roman and Greek culture really expressed this same reality. So when Paul comes to Timothy and says, let a woman learn, Recognize this statement. It is a command to Timothy. He uses an imperative verb to say to Timothy, the pastor of the Ephesian church, if a woman wants to come and learn theology, do not prohibit godly, deep theological women who appreciate Christology, who appreciate doctrine, who are rooted in the things of the gospel. Do not prohibit them from learning in a way. Now, a lot of times, here's where people take that. In an egalitarian perspective, that there are no distinctions in roles, they'll say, well, what was, this, what, was, what was the whole point of learning? The whole point of learning was then for the sake of teaching. Therefore, if they're learning, then, they, then by implication, they must have an outlet to teach. That's the rationale. Based upon the command, then the implication becomes, well, then the, then the interpretation is, then they must be able to teach because they, they are commanded to learn. Well, there was a lot of people who went, there was a lot of Jewish men who went to the synagogue to learn, but not all of them were rabbis. If we take that same ideology, you cannot rationalize that out because not everyone who is called to learn also becomes a pastor or also becomes a deacon. So what he's saying is, is there's something distinct here. But this is an elevation, by the way, in first century of Jesus saying, women are of high value in the life of the body. If you are a woman here at Cape Bible Chapel, can, can, we, can I just say to you, God has designed you with such a good image. He loves and desires that we have active, functioning women in the life of Cape Bible Chapel. By, by the way, we do. All over the place in this body. They're functioning all over. And we're, we're seeking to, to follow these commands, and it's not something you say, well, we, we just don't want them. Well, hey, you're, you're kind of, uh, I mean, think about this. Well, since, if, if the rationale is in the New Testament, well, the real prohibition is they're uneducated. Well, then the cultural adaptation is, well, if we educate them, can they do it now? Well, God still sees fit to design order regardless of intellectual capacity. 
In fact, men and women have a high sense of intellectual capacity because of whose image they bear. And yes, there are some really intellectual men and really intellectual women, and then there's some really foolish men and women, right? Both can be said of both of them. At the same time, when we think about let a woman learn, it is Paul saying to Timothy, do not prohibit a woman from coming to the place we're supposed to be rooted in the doctrines of the faith and in the way. And don't prohibit them or send them home or say you don't have enough intellect or you can't do this or you're not going to be allowed. Saying, let them learn. Ladies, one thing I would say and encourage you, don't just be a person who's going to follow be a person who's gonna be following with a level of intellectual understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't just say, you know what, since they said it. I mean, we we discourage this amongst any level of, of membership just to say, well, since the elders say it, therefore it must be true. No, we have to think deeply about the things of God. And I would encourage you ladies, love theology that is not relegated only to men. Women love learning the doctrines of the faith, getting rooted and deeply appreciate what Jesus Christ has done, what what the church is called to do. Live within the boundaries in which God has designed. And when we do it, God will be glorified because of our obedience. That kind of Allowing of a woman to learn was a step up, not a criticism and saying and demeaning. And so often in our culture, it's viewed in that kind of way. It says, let a woman learn quietly. Now, of course, this is one of the debated terms in the, in the text. Well, what does that mean? Like, uh, you know, I jokingly have said to my wife, as we have looked at this passage in the past, she says, well, hey, I got something to share with you. I was like, oh, we got to go outside the church doors before I'm going to let you talk to me. <laughs> I'm not going to get instruction. This is the household of God. Is, it, is what he's proposing some, lem- some level of, of, of male ministry shushers in the congregation? Oh, shh. Mm-hmm. Is he saying learn with all quietness in a way where all of a sudden no woman is allowed to speak into anything that goes on in the life of the body? This idea of quietness, this quiet demeanor, or this, what is, the text is trying to reflect, a demeanor that's without disrespect or disturbance in the life of the body. Well, we certainly understand that the false teaching that was present in the, in the church at Ephesus was impacting women because we see it in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. He says, besides that, Paul says, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. There was an impact of what was going on in the church that was impacting the women in the church. This quiet demeanor without respect is trying to express this state of 
the, uh, this, this idea. It's, it's found in a couple of different passages. One is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, where this idea of without disturbance or, or I'm going to give a hearing to, even sometimes translations fail to express this accurately and will say when it comes to quietness, well, they just need to have a, a demeanor that's quiet, and if they do it in a quiet disposition, then they can lead as long as they do it with the right attitude. I like what John MacArthur says in reference to this uh, perspective. He says, some have tried to evade the plain meaning of the text by arguing that this word for quiet means meek and quiet spirit. Women, they contend, uh, they contend can preach or teach as long as they do it with the proper attitude. Some go to the opposite extreme and use this text as a prohibition against any talking during church by women. He says, neither of those revisionist interpretations is valid. The context makes the meaning unmistakable to the honest reader. The parallelism that is used in verses 11 and 12 are, are remarkably distinct. Let a woman learn. It's commanded. Be theological. Be mindful. Because you remember, if you're teaching good theology in the midst of the church, in the midst of the home, then the church is going to be stronger because right theology will exist. Well, guess what? In this case, when we look at this parallelism, what you see is in the text, and I want you to notice it here, let a woman learn quietly, is the parallel contrast to verses 12a. I do not per permit a woman to teach. The idea of quietness is directly in connection with the authority that is derived from a teaching authoritative ministry that was given through scripture. Which means that was a teaching that was given uh, the authority through the elders and through the pastors and teachers. And so he says here, the parallel is, learn with all quietness. And then he says, with all submission. Oh, that, that understand that so often in our culture that when someone comes across this with all submission as a lady, they almost want to just go, that's enough. Like, I don't want any of that. And the reality is, is that when you're thinking about it, you can't close the Bible and simply say, that doesn't feel good to me. You have to ask, what does God say is good? Well, what he's saying is, let a woman learn quietly, which means she's not going to hold an authoritative position in reference to the church, and she's going to be with all submission, okay, with all submissiveness, and that word submissive is not, uh, submission is not some, you know, it's be almost become like a bad word in the culture so much that now when I do pre-marriage counseling, depending on what it is, it's like, okay, we're going to breach this subject and we're going to talk about submission. Like, okay, how are they going to respond? Submission is not a bad thing. It's a God-designed thing. Submission simply means to come under, to come in line underneath with. That's what he's saying. Well, it begs the question, doesn't it? Come under Who? Well, then he clarifies it in verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man within the assembly. And so you see the parallelism. Let a woman learn with quietness, okay, which means they're not to hold the position 
of pastor and deacon. That's reflective of 1 Timothy 3. Okay, And this is pretty pronounced, by the way, so I'm already tipping my hand to where I stand in 1 Timothy 3 because he's a husband of one wife. So it is male leadership that he calls here in this text. And he says, with all quietness in reference to the authority in the church, with all submissiveness in reference to the authority that God has designed in the church, and both become critical. Quietness is not, by the way, as most would say, like if you're reading quietness, and and many have interpreted and applied it in this way. Women never are to speak. Come in quietly, sit down, and shh. Is that really what he's going for? I don't think so. I think what he's going for is a level of disrespect to the authority that, that holds the God-given role to interpret the Bible, God's authoritative truth, and bring it to the people as God's authoritative truth for the body of Christ. That's what he's calling them to do. Not to usurp that authority. And so we carefully walk this fine line even in our culture because we cannot just say, we don't want to pander to our culture to simply say, well, but people are going to be mad at us if we have a position like this. Well, who would you rather have upset? People in the culture or God? And at some point, well-meaning, grounded Christians have to say, we care more about God's authority than we do about men's authority and men's perspective. And that's where we end up having to land. So when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man, and that she is to remain quiet. Now recognize the prohibition. Some people will land this in a cultural historical setting, meaning because Paul doesn't use an imperative verb in this, in this sake that somehow it's not universal or transcultural. What he means by this is, well, they can't teach right now but they might be able to teach later on once we get this all false teaching shored up and then they'll have the ability. Well, we understand that that teaching or that prohibition is something that is grounded in created order, which we will see next week and uncover why that created order is so important to, its, to the authority of this teaching. But she is called to not be involved in, in, in a couple of different areas that, that Paul prescribes to Timothy. Now, here's one thing at face value I hope you, you can take away from this text. He's prohibiting something. You can't come to a text like this when he says, I do not permit, and, say, and walk away going, well, I don't, think he's, I don't think he's doing anything there. He is not permitting something to go on, and that something is in reference to the teaching. He says, concerning the teaching. Now, recognize this, that in the New Testament church, authority was derived from the teaching function of of apostolic ministry and elders that were appointed in every city. This is a reason why Ephesians 4.11 says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers. And he he sets up a role and, and responsibilities of these leaders and that truth, that authority was derived from inspired word of God. And that became critical. So when he says, I don't permit this, we have to say, Okay, 
we have to come to it and say, okay, well, what is he doing? Well, he's certainly saying they're not allowed to teach or to have authority. Now, who's the object? Well, who are they not to teach? Well, in this case, Paul is saying that the function of women within the local assembly is connected with authority over men. Therefore, teaching, a woman teaching in mixed multitude or a mixed company of adult men and adult women was prohibited because that was a role that had been given to the elders of the church. Therefore, to go against God's design order of elders is to go against God and therefore go against what God has designed. And so, as Paul says to Timothy, I don't permit that is a timeless truth that is not just situational for Ephesus. It is timeless for all churches of all times since that point that this instruction was given. Andreas Kostenberger did a deep dive study into the reality of of all of these indicatives uh, in the Greek language that would express uh, command. And they're all over the the New Testament. So just simply to say, an argument to say, because he doesn't use an imperative, means that they can do, they can interpret it any way they want, is false. Because we have this going on all over in different places. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. Well, what are they prohibited? Well, they're prohibited to teach the authoritative traditions of Christ and the scriptures in the public assembly. God has called for men to step up to the challenge and to be theologically driven. And can I say this to, to the men here? So often women have stepped up to the plate in both their learning and understanding and are well-equipped in their theology and ability to think because so many men become so pacifistic in nature that learning theology and taking the time to be deeply rooted, they're fine with saying, well, what do you think, sweetheart? that they have failed in regard to lead in a variety of different ways that has, that has made less and less men step up to the challenge of leadership. And what I would say, as we think about this in our own church, this is a calling for men to step up to do the things God has called them to do in their role. And when we are, fo- when we are following God's design, we will always experience a, 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 a way that God is pleased with us following and living by faith. It's not to saying, men, you don't have to lead. Well, women have to because men won't. It's both men and women, let's do what God tells us to do. Let's function in the way God tells us to function. And if that means we gotta step up, men, then step up. Don't give me this, this, this stuff, men, where you say, well, I don't like to read. You know how many times I've heard from men, well, I'm just not a reader. What do you do when he calls you to read the Bible? Be grounded in this. Ladies, don't use that excuse either. Don't say, well, I just don't want to. I'll just do whatever he says. Well, that's gotten a lot of marriages in trouble, hasn't it? That's gotten a lot of churches in trouble, just blind following. No, be deeply rooted in the Bible so that you know who you're following, why you're following, and for what reason you're following and follow that order that God has designed. He gives that. He permits this. He, he, the prohibition here is twofold. One concerning teaching. The other uh, concerning exercising authority. Now, there, this, it's hard to encapsulate to some degree 
the, the kind of debates that, that go on for a word that, for this word, this Greek text, this word that is used for authority. Oftentimes, some scholars, as one in individual theologian said, some scholars suggest that this word, this word authority should be translated to domineer, which is the sense one gets from even uh, 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 the idea of a, a King James translation, to usurp the authority. Well, if, if it does mean in a sense of the domineering aspect or assume authority, then Paul may not be prohibiting women from having authority, but simply from getting it improperly. You can have authority, but it's not derived from the right place. But if you get it from the right place, then you're free to lead. Is that what he's saying? No. Authority holds sway to the reality of its counterpart in the parallel, which is all in, with all submissiveness, which means to line up underneath, underneath God's designed order for the church. And these, there, there are two commands in view that Paul gives to women as prohibitions. One, the prohibition not to teach or to have authority over men would include the reality of, 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 of women teaching men who are adults. And so here at the chapel, we express a complementarianism view, which certainly for some may be not as popular as the alternative, but the reality is to follow 1 Timothy 2, we are bound to the interpretation of a timeless text that was ordered and designed by God's creative method and, and designed order to say, you know what? We're gonna follow God's God's order in the church. And so as we do that, we have men teach. We are calling on men to step up. And we are calling on women to be deeply sound in their theology and their love for the truth. It is an exaltation of both the capacity of two image bearers equal before God, distinct in their roles within the home and even within the church. This usurping of authority, does that mean somehow as some would espouse? Well, that just means women are just subjected to all men of all the congregation all the time. How oppressive, some would say. He's saying not to teach or to have authority over the elders of the church. He's talking about the context of the local assembly, and he's saying, within the local assembly, the way God has designed the church, within the home, there's a submissive aspect. In the home, there's a submissive aspect in the church, and we would do right to make sure that we follow that so that we are mindful of these prohibitions. So when, he, when, he, when we think about the concerning the exercising of authority, this is the reason why we, we have we have men that are teaching all of our adult Sunday school classes and a point of which then the question of course becomes, and you know what it is, well, when does a boy become a man so that a woman can no longer do that? Well, the reality is is so often in a, in a Jewish thought, the, the early teen years, which for us would be likely the youth age years, we, we would recognize that there's a boy becoming a man and all of a sudden, so we begin to start saying, okay, we, we put some boundary markers on. Why, why do we do that? We do that because we want to just say, well, we want to just be countercultural. No, we want to be biblical. That's the goal. 
Our goal is to be biblical and interpret it and say, we don't want to exercise, have ladies exercise authority where, where God doesn't call them to so that they are within the boundaries that God has designed for them. We want men to stand up so that they are living within the boundaries God designed for them. And both together complement one another within the church, within the home, to reflect God in a very unique and distinct way so that God is glorified. And that's what Paul's after to Timothy to have the order of the church be pleasing to God. I love what Kevin DeYoung says in a book uh, concerning women in the church. In reference to the reality that he, would, he, he said as he, came, as he came to this, that he would say, well, well, then so many people will say, well, we just tell women what they can't do. And he has this whole section. I just want you to hear this. This was so instructive and helpful. He says, women can minister to the sick, the dying, the mentally impaired, the physically handicapped. They can share their faith, share their resources, open their homes to strangers, can write, counsel, mentor, organize, administrate, design, plan, and come alongside others. They can pray. They can serve on committees of the church. They can come alongside elders and deacons in difficult situations involving women or those needing women's perspective. They can minister to single moms, new moms, and all kinds of cancer survivors, abuse victims. They can bring meals, sew curtains, care packages, throw baby showers. They can do sports ministries, lead women's Bible studies, teach systematic theology to other women, and plan missions trips. They can teach children. They can raise their kids to the glory of God. They can embrace singleness as, as a gift from God. I pray for women, he says, I pray for women who love to cook, quilt, work in the nursery. I pray for women that, that, that he would have more of them in his church to counsel uh, divorced wives and mentor young ladies and teach the Bible and good doctrine to other women. Women can help widows. They can care for those struggling with the remorse of abortion. They can show the glory of the gospel in racial and ethnic reconciliation. They can do all of the above cross-culturally in unreached places and with the unwanted people of the world. In other words, there are 10,000 things women can be doing in ministry. That's a long list. So if all of a sudden we just take the two things that he says and says, because we can't do these things, I'm upset, then we're going to fail to see, ladies, the magnitude of the ministry of ladies within the church. We want you serving. We want you growing. We want you teaching other ladies. We want you doing what Titus 2 says, that older teach the younger. How do you do that without being a good learner of theology? We want women's classes, women's Bible studies, which, by the way, are going on. People helping and women, ladies helping in a variety of different ways. And of course, our desire of all of that is simply to please the Lord Jesus by submitting to his authority and function in the church. And where that will take us as we come to next week is, where is that authority derived from? Well, in this text... Of all places, it's derived from creation. And that authority is powerful, and you're going to see why he uses that as we come next week to even unfold a little bit further on this text uh, dealing with women functioning in the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, thank you for helping us this morning, Lord. This is a very challenging text of Scripture. But I do pray that men and women would embrace the roles that God 
that you have given to each one of us within the church. Lord, as a submission to you, as a submission to your authority, Lord, I pray that we as elders would be, would be men who encourage the learning and theological understanding of women. Lord, that we would, we would help prize the complementary roles that you have designed us with. Lord, we want to be obedient, even at times when in our culture that's not very popular. Lord, so give us that strength as we continue to walk through this text. In your name we pray, amen.